Turn with me then for our sermon text for today, which is Genesis 19, verses 1 through 14. As I preach through the book of Genesis, we come today to uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 14, in which uh, two angels come to the city of Sodom. You'll remember uh, previously in chapter 18, uh, three uh, what looked like men came to Abraham and his household and had been shown hospitality, warmly welcomed, though they were strangers, and Abraham welcomed uh, angels unawares. And in fact, through this, in this way, the Lord had appeared to him and gave him a promise of a son uh, through Sarah, and also had revealed his plans for Sodom, that he was going down to Sodom to see if the outcry against them was true, to, to test them, to, uh, if that was true, uh, destroy them, destroy the cities in the valley. And Abraham had pled for them on behalf of the remnant that was perhaps in their midst, uh, in, in their midst so that the Lord would not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. And so two of those uh, men, two of those who are angels, went on to Sodom, and that's what we come across in today's chapter. So let me read chapter 19, verses 1 through 14. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do, not do, only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they, stru- and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in this city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 
Let us pray for his blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for revealing your ways to Abraham and also to us, that we might see your ways of mercy and justice, that we might heed your message of salvation and hold fast to the Savior, to Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bless your word to this end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these two angels came to test the people of Sodom. They came in the form of men as traveling strangers. They came around evening time, perhaps that same evening that of the day in which they had visited Abraham. And that very night, it was clearly evident that the wickedness of Sodom was real, it was pervasive, and that there was one righteous man who with his household had showed hospitality to the strangers, and that was Abraham's nephew, Lot. Saving faith is made evident by works. It's, it, it's shown by the works one does. It becomes evident that saving faith is present. Just as Jesus later speaks of judging on the last day based on how people treated the least of his brothers when they were in distress, since this was evidence of whether they had faith in him, so it was with Lot and Sodom. They were tested. Like these angels, the Lord Jesus tests mankind. He judges the wicked. He warns of the judgment to come, and he provides a way of escape. Jesus has delivered you from sin so that you might grow in grace, remain steadfast in trial, uh, practice righteousness, not so that you might return to the mire. Now, you might not be quite as isolated as Lot, but it's easy perhaps uh, to feel like him, uh, especially in our day and context. Uh, Vileness is exalted, uh, promoted without shame. And so it is good for all of us to learn from Lot. Learn from Lot to stand for righteousness and learn from Sodom and its ways and its doom to repent, uh, to flee from sin and to flee from the wrath to come. I want to begin by first looking at the sins of Sodom and then contrasting that with the righteousness of Lot. First, the sin of Sodom. Sodom was, it seems, the, the most significant of these five cities of the plain. They were Canaanite cities, uh, and they were in a rich valley, uh, the Jordan Valley, where the Dead Sea is now. And chapter 13, it said it didn't look then the way it does now. That was after the judgment came upon them, but before it was a rich and fertile, uh, prosperous land. But Sodom uh, was quite sinful. And it's sin, and it's the pervasiveness of its sin. It's a warning of what sin is like and what it does. And the overthrow of Sodom is an example of the judgment and the justice of God. The first point about the sins of Sodom is that it was pervasive. Verse 4 makes this very clear. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man, surrounded the house. 
Uh, it does seem to be the, the men in particular, perhaps rather than the women, but representing all parts of society, all the households, the whole city, uh, representatively at least, young and old, surround the house. Uh, this is enough that the angels can pronounce judgment after what happens takes place. Uh, that it is infected the old, who should have known better, the young, who perhaps should have been in, more innocent of such things, and yet it had crept through the whole society. And thus the, the righteous that Abraham was hoping was there was not there in such numbers as he had hoped. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. They sinned, they gave their approval to sin, and they supported this sin as they gathered around the house. The second point is that they had succumbed to the temptations of wealth and ease. What happened here on that night uh, around Lot's house was not when they began to be such sinners. This was an expression of, of what uh, they were like and their general practice that Lot had seen day after day. It hadn't come about in a night. They had succumbed to uh, temptations, temptations especially of wealth and ease. Uh, Genesis 13 had said that this region had been like the garden of the Lord, uh, like Eden, rich and prosperous. That's why Lot moved there, was because it looked like a better land than the, the hill country uh, of Canaan. Ezekiel 16 describes how the people of Sodom uh, fell into these ways. In Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50, it says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters, that is the other cities around her, she and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. It doesn't ignore the sexual immorality. That would be the abomination that they did, that he saw. But it was not their only sin. It was combined with a love of pleasure and ease, a pride and haughtiness, both toward the poor and towards God, and immoderate cravings which were indulged, and not only sexual cravings, but other cravings too, greed, Gluttony, drunkenness, and they had hard hearts toward the poor and the needy. Uh, they uh, had hard hearts as they were uh, fattening themselves up and uh, greedily taking things in for themselves. And this went hand in hand with sexual immorality, increasing perversion, a lack of self-discipline, a lack of restraint, a lack of humility, a lack of the fear of God, a concern for others. These things were present and all fed each other as they succumbed to the temptations of wealth. The wealth was not uh, something that was evil. Abraham was to receive this great land, eventually, his descendants. Uh, It was a blessing of God that it would be a land flowing of milk and honey. But uh, even in Deuteronomy, uh, he realized that the people could fall prey to temptation as they looked at their wealth and their prosperity and think, my own hand has won me me this, and to forget the God who gave it to them, and to lose restraint and control, and to go astray. 
prosperity is a blessing and a temptation. And it's something rather relevant for us today. Uh, while America, we might say the West, we might say the modern age, is relatively prosperous, even if we might find hard times here and there, just the advancements in technology and comfort uh, has made us uh, living in relative prosperity. We are comfortable, and we like to be comfortable. We are prone to the same temptations that afflicted the land of Sodom. And so often we grow soft and uh, ready to give in without much uh, difficulty, uh, not being used to encounter such uh, difficulty. So beware of the temptations of wealth and ease, the thorns that seek to choke out the word. <clears throat> beware the whole package of Sodom's sins. Not only their sexual immorality, but they're also their callousness to the poor and needy, their excess of food, their pride. The third point is that their sin was worse because they neglected the previous chastisements and deliverance. Remember in chapter 14, they had already been humbled and laid low. What are they to be proud of? They had rebelled against Ketileomor and had been soundly whipped. They had been defeated. Their troops laid low. Their people brought into captivity. Their wealth taken away. And how were they brought back? But by Abraham and by the Lord God. The king of Sodom knew that Melchizedek said that it was, the, it was God who had given this victory to Abraham, and it was on behalf of Lot, the guy that they're surrounding his house right now. It was because of him that they were delivered, because God had intervened to, to save them from the judgment they deserved, and yet they neglected this lesson. They neglected God's goodness that had been given to them, and so this made their sin all the more accountable and all the more egregious. But then their sinful and desires, fourthly, <clears throat> fourthly uh, their sinful desires and ways showed themselves towards these strangers, to these people that we know uh, were angels. And this, too, was somewhat of a package of sins. Perhaps the most notable, because it's so unique, uh, stands out, is that it was a homosexual sin. The men of the city wanted to sexually know the men who had come, and that is not lawful. This was perverse and ungodly. This aspect is especially clear given how they ignored Lot's offer of his daughters. They totally ignored that offer. We'll talk about that later. But no, they wanted the men who had come. And this homosexual element added an additional layer of sin upon fornication, and the element of violence perhaps would add another layer, but sins can be multiple layers. You can add sin upon sin, and that makes it worse. Jude 7 notes that the cities indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, literally desired after strange flesh. Second Peter 2 points out the sensual conduct of the wicked, the lust of defiling passion. Uh, this was uh, certainly a sin of Sodom. This unnatural desire would continue to be practiced among other Canaanites. It's one of the reasons why God would judge the Canaanites and detest them. Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 warn the people of Israel that the Canaanites 
you know, other Canaanites, not just Sodom and Gomorrah, but the other Canaanites too, practice these detestable practices, and I don't want you to do that. Uh, the land vomit the, vomited them out of the land because they had done these things. Uh, and that included a man lying with a man as he would with a woman. Homosexuality is condemned along with incest and bestiality and adultery and witchcraft and cursing mother and father and child sacrifice as things that defile the land that uh, were displeasing to the Lord. Now, additional to this, the men of Sodom don't seem to have been very interested in the consent of these strangers. Uh, It's not explicitly mentioned, but then their response to Lot shows that they were willing to use violence to get their way, and that made their sin uh, all the more worse, this element of sexual violence. Not only that, but they also intended violence against Lot, who had reproved them. They sinned against knowledge. Lot told them that they should not act so wickedly. And what did they do? But they turned their anger against Lot. They said, now we will deal worse with you than with them. They rejected and threatened the one righteous person who reproved their deeds, bringing further judgment upon themselves. That's too often the case. Amos 5, verse 10, speaks of uh, how, uh, in this case, people of Israel who had gone astray, that they hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Now, all of this was done to strangers who had taken refuge to Lot. Uh, There was both sins of omission as well as sins of commission. So far were they from showing kindness and hospitality to strangers, they had done the opposite by seeking unnatural sexual relations by force against knowledge. And so this is the power of depravity, of sin. It doesn't stop. It wants to take over. It wants to completely corrupt. That beginning of sin that you might see even in yourself, that beginning of sin that seeks to change this thing and twist that thing, it's like a plague. It continues to grow. It gets worse and worse. It doesn't want to stop. It takes over a town. It takes over a person. And it had done so to the city of Sodom. And so God's judgment upon Sodom was was well justified. And we'll, find, we'll talk more about the actual judgment itself uh, next week as we look at the rest of the chapter. But I want to contrast this way, this, this way of Sodom, which should be a warning to us to let's not go down that path. This way leads to destruction, leads to uh, abomination. But rather, look at the alternative, the, or at least the one with whom they would be contrasted with, Lot the righteousness of Lot, the one man and the one house that stood out from the rest. Uh, Peter speaks of Lot and speaks of how he was uh, one of the righteous, one of the godly. And if God rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly, from trials. Lot was a righteous man. He was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. And that wasn't something he just saw that night. It was something that he had seen time and again. But the Lord knew how to rescue him. 
from the trial that he was in. Now, the first thing that we notice about Lot is verse 1, Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Where did they find Lot? Was he holed up in his basement? Uh, was, was he uh, paralyzed by fear? No, he was sitting in the gate. Now, that might not mean as much for us today. If you go sit in a gate, you might wonder, well, why is that person sitting in a gate? But the gate was a very important place in the ancient world. Uh, the city gate was the court of the city. It was the forum of the city. It was the meeting place of the city. You see that in, in the book of Ruth. You know, it's where they call the elders to gather and to do business and to uh, witness transactions and to make uh, court cases. And to sit in the gates especially was to be one who had some authority or some weight in the community. And he was there in the evening and was there to welcome or at least he had the opportunity, therefore, of welcoming these men as they came to the city. He was looking out for the vulnerable. He was looking out for the people in the city, perhaps especially for strangers to the city. Lot was politically involved and socially involved in the city of Sodom. Imitate Lot, therefore, by being involved in your community, looking not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others looking out for the welfare of your neighbors and strangers. The godly are not called to retreat from society, even though it may be evil, not to go off into the cloister and shut yourself off from the world. There might be times, parts of the day, times where you need to to step back, to, to train, to gather, certainly as a church, to work as your family, but beyond that, to, to be a light in the world, to not cut yourself off, to rather look out for their good, to love your neighbor as yourself, to do unto others what you would want them to do unto you, not simply not do what you don't want them to not do, uh, what you don't want them to do. You get what I said. It's not just the negative, not doing others bad things, but doing good things to them. It's good to be politically involved, socially involved, for the good of others. One way to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how you are involved, how you're involved in different ways, how much in different ways, you know, more minimally involved in this area and more so in this area, that might depend on your calling, your abilities, the time in your life, the opportunities you have. But one way or another, uh, it is good to imitate Lot here by being involved in your community, looking out for the welfare of others doing what you can to improve the common good, to look out for strangers. And it's looking out for strangers that would be the next thing we notice about Lot. Lot showed hospitality to strangers. Lot was like Abraham. We see a family resemblance here, a good resemblance of the household of faith. Like Hebrews 13.2 says, he was one who showed hospitality to angels unawares by showing hospitality to strangers. And not that that's necessarily something that happens today. Scripture doesn't say if it's something that happens today or not, but it certainly has happened and shows that uh, God's approval of this thing, that God is pleased with showing hospitality to strangers, that he has tested people in this way. And as we saw, that it's how Jesus describes himself coming to you in his disciples, in his brothers, that the hospitality shown to them is shown to him. So Lot, like Abraham, he rose, he bowed down to these men, showing honor to them. 
it's perfectly fine, at least in scripture times, as a custom to bow down to people. It's bowing down to images that was forbidden, but not as religious worship, simply as a showing of reverence. Uh, And then he offered to wash their feet, and he gave them a place to sleep, and he made them a feast, just like Abraham had done. And he also gave them unleavened bread. That's interesting. Uh, unleavened bread. What does that remind you of? There's another part of scripture where they eat unleavened bread in a night right before they are, you know, delivered from a really bad place. Uh, I, either the people of Israel would have known this story and realized, oh, we're eating unleavened bread. That means something like Lot getting out of Sodom is about to happen. Or they knew what happens in the Exodus, and now they're in the wilderness, and they read this story, and they're like, oh, this is like the Exodus. It probably could be both ways. But I think there's a link here. Why did he have to mention unleavened bread as opposed to everything else that was part of that feast? But they sit down to eat. It's evening. They're eating. But before they go to sleep, something else happens, and the story will go on. But Lot shows hospitality to strangers. He had urged them to stay with him. At first, they were going to city, stay in the city uh, town square, perhaps to better view the city. But Lot uh, urges them to stay with him. He probably knew that it was dangerous to stay in the city square, that he would need some protection in such a wicked city. And it also tells them to go on their way early, or assumes that they will want to. Imitate Lot in this, doing what you can to hinder evil doing. You might not have the authority of a magistrate to repress evil and to punish it, but you can replace evil with good and shelter those who are in danger and seek to counteract it by doing good and practicing righteousness. And then Lot defended the strangers. He faced the mob alone. He went outside of the house and he shut the door behind him. While the men of the city surrounded the house and told him to bring out the strangers so that they might know them, Lot refused to do so. And he went out to them, and he shut the door after him. They had come under the shelter of his roof, and he would not give them up. So he showed hospitality to strangers. The third thing to note about him is that he urged the men of the city to not act wickedly. I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Lot reproved his neighbors in a brotherly way as a fellow uh, inhabitant of the city of Sodom and sought to turn them from their course rather than giving way to them. Now, this was the course of a righteous man. So imitate him by convincing your neighbors to turn aside from their evil course. Ephesians 5 verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The word for reprove there can also mean expose, but it's, you know, let things come to light. Convince them to do otherwise. Seek to persuade your neighbors to turn aside from wickedness. Do not partake in it, but rather uh, oppose it. Hinder it. For if it's left unchecked, judgment may fall upon your city too. Now, the civil magistrate should normally be a terror to such things. It should not let it to go this far. Uh, should nip these things in the bud and prevent this corruption from spreading through the whole community and letting it come out into the open like this. You should maintain a public disapproval of such things, lest what happened to Lot uh, happen. Israel was commanded to punish sexual immorality, lest it spread and bring judgment upon the people as it did to the Canaanites. Paul in Romans 13 
affirms that civil government continues to be God's minister, to be a terror to evil, an avenger that carries out God's wrath on the evildoer. It should discourage uh, such sin. So support and seek good government, at least by your prayers and by your votes, and more than that as you are able, so that they might do their job for your good and for the good of your country, for the good of your community. But even when the civil magistrate falters or even supports evil, as it certainly had faltered and not prevented what happened in Sodom, you could use, should use your influence to discourage evil, to convince people to turn aside from it, and to encourage one another in doing well, and to encourage one another to stand fast. Our larger catechism in describing uh, the use of the Ten Commandments says this, That which is forbidden or commanded to ourselves, we are bound, according to our places, to endeavor that it may be avoided or performed by others, according to the duty of their places. You have to know your place, know your calling. You don't want to be a meddler or a busybody. But you do have a responsibility that others fulfill those duties as well uh, with you, according to the duty of their places. Now, you will need to be ready to withstand opposition. As the mob turned their anger upon Lot and mocked him and intended violence against him, so often the wicked will do against the one who reproves them. As the, lot came, as the mob came for Lot, so the Twitter mob can come for you. Uh, we have uh, great examples of the mob of people directing their anger against the one who speaks up for what is true, especially the case when people have lost their sense of shame. It can be easily stirred up against the one who stands for righteousness. So prepare yourself and also be wise. Like I said, Scripture also says it's not good to be a meddler or a busybody. Jesus said, do not cast your pearls before swine. Lot didn't go around needlessly picking fights like a loose cannon around the town. That probably would not have been wise in his situation. But he proactively practiced righteousness, and he urged his neighbors to cease from evil when the matter arose. And when the situation arose, he did not give in to their demands. Now, he could have thought, it's foolish to refuse the crowd. This is the way of Sodom. I I better go along with it. Better kick these guys out of my house. He could have thought that. But no, he did not comply. And he begged them to not act so wickedly. So do not give way to the wicked. As Proverbs says, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is the righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Now, even when you're careful, people might still call you a meddler or a busybody. They noted that Lot was a stranger to their town and say, uh, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Perhaps he even was a judge, an elder of some kind sitting in the gates. But they hold this against him, that he's a foreigner, a sojourner who's come to meddle in their business and stop all their fun. It's interesting, when Calvin was preaching on this passage, uh, he seems to have sympathized a lot with Lot, because he also was a stranger to the town of Geneva and often came into conflict with some of the natives who wanted to continue their sinful ways. But the truth is truth, whether it comes from the stranger or not. And Lot was not here meddling in other people's business. He was protecting the strangers who had come to his house, but that didn't stop people from attacking him and from accusing him. 
So do not let the fear of such accusations cause you to be silent and do nothing. But then just as it all seems hopeless, as Lot has his back against the wall, literally, and the crowds are coming against him as well as the people into his house, then the men, the angels, save Lot. They bring him inside, they blind the men of the city, and uh, save him, save Lot. God often tests people like he did Lot. The situation seems hopeless. Will you continue to stand for right? Even when it seems hopeless, even when it seems like it won't work, God is powerful. He could overcome his enemies right now and leave you no more trials, but that's not what he usually does. I mean, he he will work, work out the victory in the end. He laughs at the schemes of the nations, uh, but he often lets them get pretty close before he scatters them, uh, as he did in this case. And so you're called to hold fast, to, to be firm in trials. Now, in all of this, I have to come as, as fourth point here about Lot. What about Lot's comments about his daughters? As that's right there in the passage and, uh, where he says, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Well, that doesn't sound like the words of a righteous man, uh, and, and I'm not saying that they are. It is possible that Lot said this sarcastically or simply to make a point, something with the sense of, you wouldn't take my daughters in this way, so leave the other inhabitants of my house alone. There's some argument to that effect. Uh, perhaps he, might, he thought this would bring them to their senses. The men of the city don't seem to have taken the offer very seriously. They ignore it altogether, and they only focus on the fact that Lot was opposing them. But whether it's sarcastically or not, uh, on the other hand, it's likely that these are simply the words of a desperate man at his wit's end who proposes a lesser evil in exchange for a greater evil on the part of the men of Sodom. Uh, in this, Lot did wrongly. You know, he was, had a duty both to protect his daughters as well as the strangers in his house. I don't think he said it lightly or casually. Uh, he was rather powerless, and he was putting himself in danger as well uh, out there, and they were intending him harm. Uh, it's not like he was being selfish, but in the course of doing right, being somewhat fearful, uh, he also did what was wrong. And we'll find a few other occasions later in the chapter where Lot was a righteous man, but also could be fearful and hesitant and had some weakness. And so this is a warning to you to do better than Lot, to pray for wisdom, to realize it's difficult to stand for righteousness when the pressure is laid on you, and to be prepared and to pray God for wisdom, to say the right thing, to not stumble into sin while you are seeking to do what is right. It's also a reminder that righteous Lot was not called righteous because uh, he was perfectly righteous according to strict judgment. Sins could be found in him. We will find other instances of fearful weakness in him later on. But rather, Lot was considered righteous by grace. His sins being pardoned, Christ's righteousness being imputed to him, and his sincere good works accepted through Christ. And that's the way it is for all of us. Uh, We do not live by our works, but rather by God's grace in Christ, and therefore uh, serve him in a way that is pleasing to him. 
Last point, though, here about the righteousness of Lot, and a very important point as well. Verses 12 through 14 speak of how Lot urged his sons-in-law to flee the city. The angels told him of the impending judgment, which was now confirmed, of the need to flee, and tells him to tell those who belong to him, get them out of this city. Now, this warning was both comforting. God had revealed a way of salvation. It was also frightening. Judgment is coming. Uh, Just as Noah, in reverent fear that was motivated by faith, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, so there was a a type of fear that that was born of faith that gets them to get out of the city. Now, uh, that kind of fear, actually, Lot probably could have used a little bit more of, but uh, he had enough fear to tell his sons-in-law to get out of the city. Up! Get out of the city. Judgment is coming. Unfortunately, the sons-in-law do not believe the message. They do not fear. Rather, they laugh. This seems to be a joke. Now, despite the failure of Lot's evangelism, it's still an example. This is the work of a righteous man. Not only does he oppose the evil uh, and and reprove the wicked, but he also uh, uh, lays forth the way of salvation, and tells people to get out. This is what the angels told him to do. Evangelize the lost. To begin with those who are close to you. To tell people to flee the wrath to come by repenting unto God and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told to do this uh, not only to our members of our household, although that's a good place to start with your friends, with your relatives, but uh, to all the world, to flee from the wrath to come, to embrace salvation in Jesus Christ. You'll have, probably have to explain that more than simply the statement that Lot gives here, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy this city. Uh, but yes, we want people to get out of the domain of darkness, out of the fallen world that is perishing and condemned, and into salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in him. That ought to be your aim. So yes, uh, preach, proclaim, share uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to your neighbors. Look out for their good in that way, not only being politically and socially involved, but also by promoting the gospel and giving them the only true hope of everlasting salvation. And of course, the one that then produces good works too, uh, for the good of uh, all. So do not lose hope. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He had his eye on Lot. He would not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Uh, He would have mercy upon him and rescue him. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. So therefore, beware the way of Sodom. Do not go down that path that leads to death. Uh, Turn from sin and repent, but rather stand for righteousness in your soul and in your actions, uh, hating sin, uh, being repulsed by sin like Lot was, and by practicing righteousness. Practice righteousness, oppose wickedness, proclaim salvation. That is our, our calling in this world, even as much as it might feel like Sodom and Gomorrah. We've been placed here as friends of God for a mission that he has called us to, so let us do so unto his glory. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace which has brought us out 
of the city of destruction, who has set us on the course to the celestial city, uh, to the kingdom of God, already uh, receiving its uh, citizenship, uh, share in it, that we might dwell under your favor and presence. We pray that you would more and more uh, strengthen us in the ways of righteousness, to have compassion for our neighbor, uh, to seek to promote righteousness, and to make known your salvation. We pray that you would bless this work, that uh, our neighbors might also be saved and walk in these ways that you have appointed for us. We pray that you would uh, spare our own cities and country from uh, the fate of Sodom, but rather that you would have mercy upon us and work powerfully uh, through your word, uh, through the work of your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.